Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm your host, Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with United States evangelist Mac Gober from Canaan Land Ministries. Welcome to History Makers, Mac. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> now, uh, Mac, you're, you're sitting here with the uh, Harley Davidson uh, shirt on, and you look like you've uh, done a few rounds <laughs> in your time. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Where, whereabouts did you grow up? Where are you from? Well, I grew up all over the southeast of the United States. Uh, my dad was in steel work, and so we would uh, move every two or three months. Uh, he would go and um, set up a job site and call in the however many welders, how much steel it was going to take for that job, whether we'd be building uh, tanks or water or bridges. And then he'd wait till everybody showed up and set them up and get the foreman shack set up and then uh, after they'd get going good he'd go to one that they would be closing to make sure it, it closed up right uh, he, he wasn't a very educated man but he was just uh, really brilliant at, at reading uh, blueprint and even uh, college uh, degree guys would go out there They would the company would send them out there to work with my dad for a while uh, so, so he could show them how to read blueprint it just came natural to him and so we traveled quite a bit throughout the southeast uh, up until I was around 12 years old. And my mom said, we're not moving anymore. We're, we're, we're not going to jerk this kid all over. We're going to at least have some kind of school for him. And um, I'm glad she did because all the rest of my school is just almost uh, all vague. I can't really remember any little schoolmates or friends I had growing up except for the time that I, we stopped in Tuscaloosa Alabama, and uh, many people may know about that because of Coach Bear Bryant, University of Alabama, and uh, of course he coached uh, Joe Namath and Ken Stabler, and uh, Ken Stabler was a drinking friend of mine, and uh, we had gotten to know each other. I'd come back from Vietnam, and he was uh, back from playing with Oakland Raiders. He had just gotten put on what they call a taxi squad, so me and him would go out to the bars and fight a lot and if we couldn't find anybody to fight we'd fight each other just hanging around mucking around drinking drinking and uh i was there for a short time then back out to san diego and uh i was kind of on the run attempted murder and heavy drug sales quite a bit so growing up i didn't really have much of a chance to it was kind of a, a blur as far as that history part so tell me a little bit about um, joining the, the bikey gang. You uh, had a bit of a, a, a radical testimony. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the bikey gang. Well, uh, when I got back from Vietnam, I was over in Vietnam in 1966 and 67. Uh, at that time, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, the President of the United States, had gotten on national television and says, if you don't go over the R and stop communism, it's coming to our country and then to our neighborhoods. And we've got to stop it wherever it is. Wherever it rears its ugly head, we must oppose all communism. Well, my dad fought in World War II, and he was in the Battle of the Coral Sea. And uh, that's not too far from here. And uh, he was on the USS Lexington. And, of course, it's sitting on the bottom of the ocean over there in the Coral Sea. And uh, he made it off into another ship. And then uh, they bombed that one, and it took three ships, but it got him back to the United States. And I thought, if my daddy st stood up for this country, so will I. And so um, I did, and I volunteered. 
and uh, I volunteered in, in the Navy, and uh, I learned to dive while I was in the Navy, and uh, I went to Coronado to learn how to do weapons and warfare, and was sent from there straight to Vietnam. So I was over there in 1966-67, and then uh, spent a half a month in the hospital there at Da Nang. I saw a lot of young men so brutally uh, torqued to pieces through the bullets and the bombs, and uh, I thought, man, here I am. I'm probably going to make it back to the States, and all these guys, they died every day and every night. And uh, they'd be screaming out in pain. And when the when they'd stopped screaming, we knew everybody. We looked at each other, and we realized we just we lost another brother that died. And so when I got back to the United States, I, you would never thought that America would turn its back on its own young men. And I don't I don't have a sad story, and I cry and whine about it today. But back then, as a young 19, 20, 21 year old boy, uh, getting back from Vietnam and realizing that my own country, they were throwing uh, rotten eggs and tomatoes, calling us names. And uh, I thought, okay, America, if you're going to turn your back on me when I needed you most, I'm turning my back on you. So I decided that uh, I didn't want nothing to do with America. I was going to live my life out there on the other side of the law. And you'd go into these biker bars uh, in San Diego and it's amazing when these bikers, these hardcore bad men, when they find out you just got back fighting in, in Vietnam, they'd pat you on the back and buy you a round of, uh, of beer. And uh, it's easy to like somebody that, that likes you. And so these guys seemed to open up their arms to me. And so that's what I did. I, I started hanging around these guys. And uh, then... It was that way up until, uh, oh my goodness, I was almost 30 years of age and uh, I had gotten into some trouble again in several states and I went back to San Diego and I was going to live out there till I died. So while I was on the run, uh, some money was being sent to me because I had a little farm uh, growing back in Alabama and uh, I was growing some herbs, and uh, which is marijuana. And so uh, my little farm was sending me some money. And uh, I got there at this Western Union, and this guy, he's walking down, handing everybody a little piece of paper. And uh, I noticed that when he got there, everybody, they look at it and they throw it down, and it just looked like a ticker tape parade. Uh, those little leaflets were just blowed all over the streets of San Diego. And uh, so he finally got one to me. And uh, you got to remember, back then, I'm extremely ugly. Uh, of course, you might think I still am, but uh, back then I sure was ugly. <laughs> I had a great big old bushy beard, and uh, little critters used to live in my beard. And I had long, strangling hair, and my front teeth were all knocked out. I just had two fangs, and which goes to show you, I don't care how bad you think you are, there's always somebody more bad. <laughs> and somebody can clean your clock dock. And, uh, but, you know, when you're young, you're full of pride, and you make it back from Vietnam, you think you're Godzilla himself. You... You can't be beat, and you can't die, and all this uh, stuff. And I was ripping pages out of the Bible, smoking dope in it. Didn't want nothing to do with this God stuff or America and, and this uh, God bless America. So while I was sitting here in all this, uh, I'm reading this little piece of paper this guy, because I tried to throw it away. Uh, I really did. I, I took it, 
And at the top of it, it said, just as I am. I thought, so what? I know who I am. And I threw it down. And a silly thing stuck to my finger. Then I tried it again. It stuck to my thumb. And, uh, you know, when you don't take a bath every month, things that kind of stick to you, I guess. <laughs> and so I began to read this little paper, and it said there's such a crazy idea today that most people think that they've got to get rid of all their bad habits first and start going to church first before God will have anything to do with you. And it said that's such a lie. But God committed his love toward us while and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us and uh, Romans 5 8 and so that right there I thought if God loved me then well you know he loves me now well I didn't ask him in my heart right then I got back that afternoon at this drug addict's apartment we were staying at and uh, I walk in and I, I look down on the floor and there's a pamphlet laying right there on the floor I pick it up and start reading it and it's about God again. Now, what's all this stuff about God all of a sudden? God, God, God. And I got to reading this piece of paper, and I thought, if God is real, I'm in a heap of trouble. Now, if God ain't real, ain't no big deal. And, and you just party down and just die like a dog, and, and you know, there's no hell, there's no judgment. Uh, but what if, perchance, just on the 50-50 rule, what if I had been wrong all that time and my old granddaddy was right, while I'm looking at this, this guy staggers out of the back bedroom and he said, what's going down, Big Mac? I said, not much, man. I said, where'd you get this religious thing? He said, well, this afternoon, a big old uh, black fat woman was knocking on the door, handing these out. And he said, I hit her in the face. And when I hit her in the face, that blankety blank thing just fell out of her hand. And uh, I went back to bed, and I thought, if there ever was a real Christian in the world, it, it had to be somebody like her that wasn't ashamed to come out of her four church walls and go into neighborhoods like where I lived and want to give me something and, and hand out tracts about the Lord. Well, it made me start thinking for the first time in my life, what if God's real? And then uh, I, I don't know exactly... Uh, sometimes I get a little fuzzy, but it was two or three weeks after that. I remember going upstairs and uh, at this uh, two-story apartment that I stayed at from time to time. And I got upstairs, and I remember I was fixing to turn the light switch on, and I looked up into the corner of the room up there near the ceiling, and I looked there, and there was Jesus hanging on a cross. But this time I realized it was for me. And it's like he lifted his head up and he looked me in the eye and he said, Mac, I love you. And I started crying. I I didn't know that there was that much love in this world. And uh, I started naming all the things I had done wrong, trying to show him that he couldn't love somebody. I mean, I knew that wicked people were going to hell. That wasn't hard to figure out. Well, I knew that I was wicked, so I was going to hell. Uh, there's not much you can do to change that. And uh, and I didn't know about Jesus down on the cross and all that. But all of a sudden, I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and he says, Mac, I love you. And I said, but what about the time that I raped? And right in the middle of my sentence, he would say, but Mac, I love you. And then I'd name something else, and he would cut me off and said, Mac, I love you. And about that third or fourth time, I fell on my knees like a little child, and I began to beg God not to let me die and go to hell. 
for the first time in my life, I knew that hell was real. You know, you don't live that life, Matt, all those years. Uh, you don't live 28, 30 years, and you walk down the street one day and go, oh, I believe I'll be a Christian tomorrow. I'm going to shave my beard, and, and uh, I'm going to cut my hair and go to Sunday school. No, it takes a miracle to take a man that's living on six-lane highway that's headed to hell and change him in, in, in a twinkling of an eye. I mean, I knew that I knew Jesus was in that room, and I cried so hard. I, I felt like I cried for two weeks. I couldn't stop thinking about him and the fact that he did love me and that he was real. And uh, he proved that to me. And, uh, you know, I was there. People, I said, was it, was it real? Uh, it was real to me. You know, I, I'd like to think I, I didn't play any mind games or spooky-mooky in the sky. Uh, I knew it was really Jesus. And I said, Lord, if you let me live long enough, please help me find my mom. I want to just go home to Alabama and find my mom and, and ask her to forgive me for being such a bad boy all my life. And uh, I used to drag my mom through the floor by the hair of her head, beating her in the face because she was a drunk. And I thought it ain't right that my mom's a drunk. Now, here I am, a full-blown drunk and a, and a drug addict. But I figured a, a, a mom doesn't have a right to be that way. And so I was getting in trouble a lot, in and out of jails. And uh, But all of a sudden, there in San Diego, I wanted to find my mom and ask her to forgive me. I went back to Alabama to help see if I could find my mom and and of course, I started going to a little church, and I didn't know nothing about going to church, man. I was trying to read my Bible, and I couldn't understand it. All those words in there, hither and thither, and what's a hither? And you'd be reading in the book of Mark, and they'd go, and Anon, they were there. What's an Anon? And I thought, man, if I'm going to have to read this book before I go to heaven, I ain't going to make it. And so I was calling my pastor all the time, and in the meantime, I started going out to these old bars and hang-ups, and I was picking up guys that... I knew out there, and I, I didn't have any front teeth, and I talked to him. I said, you just need to get saved. And after talking to a boy for about two hours, and he, he'd finally go, oh, okay. And, uh, but then I didn't know what to do with him. And I thought, oh, I know where we can go. I said, my pastor loves God so much, he built his house right next door to the church. I figured you got to love God a lot when you build your house right next door to the church. And so I'd go and wake him up. It'd be 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. And thank God I had one of those humble pastors. And he'd say, is something wrong, Brother Mac? And he'd come to the door. And I'd go, no, I got one out here. He said, you, one what, son? I said, a thinner. I said, he wants to get saved right now. And so we'd, we'd go there, and he'd put on his little robe, and we'd go across that cold grass. And, and he'd unlock the doors and go down there to that altar, and that man give his life to Jesus. And I tell you, it's like me getting saved all over again. I, I thought it was wonderful if, if, if people could just get to know Jesus, that he's real. It's not religion. It's not a course of life. It's a relationship with a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Next night, it's around 2 in the morning before I get somebody to say yes. And I got there, and bless his heart, he opened my door, and he said, something wrong, brother, go over. And I said, because, see, I hadn't been going there very long. He didn't know me real well. And I said, no, I got another one out here. Another what? And I said, a thinner. They wanted to get saved. And so they got saved. Middle of the week, he called me and he gave me the keys to the church. And, and uh, he didn't know what that meant to me. I never had anybody trust me in so long. 
it felt so good and and so out of that I just wanted to see people to realize that Jesus was still alive and he came to save that which was lost and he's not mad at them and so me and my wife started taking guys into our own home and uh, it became the first Caneland Bible Training Center and they were sleeping everywhere that we started the Caneland in 1981 eventually uh, bought 70 acres of land and in a nice place 20 acre lake right by it and uh, we helped guys get their high school education number one learn a trade number two and then get grounded in the word of God we have three Bible classes every day Monday through Friday and then after we have that in the afternoon we teach them a trade and if they want to learn how to dive, we teach them how to dive. And uh, if they want to learn how to fly airplanes, uh, we teach them how to fly airplanes if they want to fly for missionaries or uh, travel in ministry. And so God has been on my heart to bring one here to Queensland. I met a guy named Terry Walker, uh, who is the national boss of the Tribe of Judah Motorcycle Ministries here in Australia. And uh, mine and his heart was real similar and just reaching out and helping people. And uh, I knew that the Caneland would need a covering, a, a home church to go to. And so we, we prayed about it, and we chose Brother Terry Walker. My two sons, named Joshua and Caleb Gober, uh, are moving here soon into Queensland within the next month or so and help us look for some land or a home and uh, until we can get one started and start helping folks here in Queensland uh, just like we did there in the United States. And if people want to know any more information, what's the best website for them to go to? com. That's uh, C-A-N-A-A-N-L-A-N-D.com. And uh, we've been believing God for 800 uh, partners that would give a one-time love gift of $250. And uh, we're going to take that and help it become the first Caneland Bible School here. And it's not going to cost the guys that come there a dime. And it's not going to cost their parents any money either. And the age is from 17 years of age up to 60 years old. Reading Luke 4.18, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And I, I realized after reading that there's no age limit to a broken heart. Uh, the devil doesn't really give a flip how old you are. And it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. I've had bankers. I've had attorneys. I've had football stars uh, that come and came to Caneland. And some sometimes it is drugs and alcohol. But it's not just for that. And it's not a rehab or a halfway house. It's a Bible school. So when these guys graduate after being there for a whole year, uh, they, they graduate and get a diploma that says Caneland Bible Training Center. And they can get a college ring as well that has Caneland just like that. And so that if somebody says, where have you been for a year? They can tell them I've been to Bible college. And uh, that's a whole lot better than being, saying I just got out of prison. Well, Matt Gober, I reckon you're a history maker, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, man. Well, I'm sorry I talked so long, <laughs> but I, I love Australia, and uh, I love you folks very much. Good on you, mate. Thank you. History Makers.